What's up, Lady Ballers? Welcome back. We're Soccer Props. And it's game time. Lady Ballers. Lady Ballers, we're here. We're here today. And guys, we have an amazing guest today, Corey Mascara. Um, Corey and I go way back um, to middle school, which is wild. <laughs> um, but Corey spent six months living as a monk in actual silence. So he didn't speak for six months, guys. I can't it's do wild. that for six minutes. Not even a minute. <laughs> Not even a minute. <laughs> um, meditating 14 hours a day. Pretty wild. But I mean, he now um, teaches mindfulness in a practical and usable way. He has taught at Columbia University. He's also taught at the University of Pennsylvania. He's pretty incredible. You've probably seen him on Dr. Oz um, teaching med- meditation practices, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. Yeah. And he has a new book coming out. It's called Stop Missing Your Life. And it's how to be deeply present in an unpresent world. And guys, like we, when we were talking to him, we couldn't believe how every yeah. single thing he was saying was just, it hit home for us. And it's, um, it's so true. We were always on social media. We're always like rushing from one thing to the next. And as athletes, we're always stressed out about things. Yeah. So it's what he talks about is super important for the health of your mind and for your performance. Absolutely. So we hope you guys enjoy this as much as we did. Um, so, and wait, make one of your resolutions to add meditation into your day because Shannon and I are going to be working on it. Yeah, we're going to do it. Do it with us. All right. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Really pumped. But but enough about us. (laughs) Seriously. Let's talk about you. Um, so can you give like our listeners just like a background of like how you got into this field? So how I got into this field, um, I, uh, right, so I'm mostly a meditation teacher. I don't know what it means to be mostly a meditation teacher. I mean, that's like the main thing that people consider me these days. And uh, uh, I I didn't get into this because I was into meditation or interested in it or even interested in stress reduction or anything to do with meditation. Uh, I, I got into it in college, and it was uh, because I was trying to impress a girl. And it, <laughs> it be girlfriend, she was kind of into meditation, and I made this New Year's resolution to meditate three times a week um, for 15 minutes each day. And I, 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 I still remember, like, it was in my dorm room, and I put all my New Year's resolutions up on my wall, and I wanted her to see them, and I wanted her to see that one of them was like to meditate, <laughs> to think like I was really deep or something. Oh, uh, she yeah, she broke up with me a couple oh, weeks ago. Oh come on, I was gonna say, but it was worth it. So sad, but yes. So you know, these are one of those those things where you look back. And hindsight's twenty twenty, and whatever the cliche Steve Jobs quote is, which you <laughs> can't connect the dots. Whenever you can only connect it at looking back, and um, this was one of those where it just felt like it was a really painful breakup, um, but it ended up leading to everything I'm doing right now, and to probably the most important shift in my life. So the the pain of that breakup caused me to take the meditation more seriously. And all these little things started to happen that uh, were very compelling. Uh, my sleep improved radically. I had always had restless sleep from adolescence on and uh, would wake up many times throughout the night. It was hard to fall asleep, stay asleep. Started meditating, um, again, no more than 15 minutes a, a day, probably close to like five to 10 minutes, but only a few times a week. And I started waking up like 
only a couple times a night and started having nights where I wasn't waking up at all. So that was very compelling. My focus improved. Uh, I didn't feel like a, a leaf blowing around in the wind. There was more stability, groundedness. And I just started feeling um, happier. And, and so all of this happened out of this very basic practice that I hardly understood at the time. And, um, and it compelled me to want to understand it more. Uh, I was an economics major. Uh, nobody in the economics department was talking about meditation. We ended up taking this trip to the New York Stock Exchange to meet with this hedge fund manager. Um, and uh, everyone was excited about it. I was excited about it, too, because this was like the guy you wanted to meet. And he gave a talk. And by the end of it, I just felt like my soul was sucked out of my body. Uh, I was totally bored, uninspired, <laughs> lifeless, and just had this clear recognition that I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I do not want to end up like this guy. I can't and see you doing that. At the what's moment. that? I can't see you being in economics or working in like the stock world. Yeah, well, if you remember me from high school, Shannon, so for listeners that don't know this, uh, Shannon and I went to high school together. Um, my reputation in high school was the candy man. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I monopolized the candy selling business my senior year of, of high school, and I was going to Costco <laughs> every day buying several hundred dollars worth of candy yes. and flipping them uh, the next a, day. You've been an entrepreneur forever. Uh, That's hysterical. <laughs> that was my Did claim to fame. <laughs> there was nothing to do with meditation. And I mean, in college, I I was selling Ugg boots my freshman year. Like, I, I And I, I wasn't as douchey as I'm making myself sound. But, <laughs> um, I, was, I was interested in, in business and always thought I wanted to start my own business. And... Uh, yeah, so to get into what I ended up getting into was not what I expected. Um, but yeah, looking back now, I can't see myself doing anything else. Um, that experience with that the hedge fund guy just caused me to really reevaluate my path. And uh, I remember just thinking, like, the main thing I want is just to be happy, just to be fulfilled. I don't know what's going to get me there, but that's like, that is the the uh, motivation behind all the things I'm doing, even like even the like selling candy or wanting to make money, all of that was in pursuit of wanting to be happier. And uh, I decided to first figure out what actually is happiness, how do we develop it, and then build my life around that. So the only thing I knew at that point uh, to get me there was this meditation thing. It was the... Um, it was the first thing that I experienced that was cultivating a quality of peace, contentment, fulfillment that wasn't solely contingent upon the external variables of my life. So I just took my personality right into meditation, and um, and a year later I was, you know, I graduated college and was living in a monastery with a shaved head <laughs> as a monk. <laughs> How did you apply? Like, do you apply to that? How did you make that happen? Yeah, do you apply? Yeah, I filled out my college, edu my monk college education <laughs> application. <laughs> um, no, uh, well, yeah, you do. So it depends on the monastery. I mean, some of these are, are literally, literally like um, eat, pray, love sort of thing where you just show up. Uh, this was, I, I had gone on one silent retreat here in the West. It was a seven-day silent retreat in Massachusetts. And I had heard stories of my teachers there having spent time um, overseas doing extended silent retreats. And I said, oh, that's what I want. I should talk to them. And uh, I 
I, in one of my meetings with them, I said, you know, I was on retreat. Like, I'm not supposed to be talking about plans outside of the retreat. You're just <laughs> supposed to be talking about your meditation practice. But right. after it was over, I said, hey, like, I think I, uh, you know, I just graduated college. I, I think I want to, like, go live on a mountain somewhere. I want to go into silence. Uh, I want it to be really hard. I want to meditate all day long. Um, and I just had this, like, idea in my head of just, like, going through a really difficult monastic experience and crying, but like coming out enlightened on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they listened to it, they kind of smiled. And then they said, well, you know, if you can do experiences like this. And what we'd recommend, especially if you want it to be difficult, is to go over to Burma. Because Burma was closed out to tourism for many years because they have a very intense government. And, um, and so the teachings there were actually uh, preserved. There wasn't much tourism yet. And um, for that reason, like, you really get an authentic uh, monastic experience. And they said if you want it to be really hard, you should study under this guy, Sayadaw Pandita. He's 91 years old. We've all practiced with him. He's the most intense, demanding meditation teacher that you could find, uh, and he'll push you. So, um, so I said, yeah, that's what I want. And uh, I applied for a meditation visa in that country. If you stay for longer than a month, you need what's called a meditation visa, a specific visa for meditation. Oh my God. And that took, uh, that took several months to get approved, and once it did, um, I think I had about a month to book my plane ticket and I was off and that was in 2012 and, um, set out to do a six, six and a half month silent meditation retreat. And did you like, did you forget how to talk? Like when you were done <laughs> and you opened your mouth, well, did you whisper it, to yourself at all? I was thinking that I would have, I would find a quiet place and scream and then go <laughs> run back yeah, in. Hear you. No, you go far away so they can't hear you. <laughs> Tell us about that. Tell you about what? Just like, well, first of all, I just want to know what your, like, when you went and got there for the first week, were you like, what did I just do? Yeah. Or was it, yeah. or were you like jazzed about it? <laughs> yeah, I had jazz, jazz fingers all day long. <laughs> um, Silent jazz. Uh, there was, it was, it was weird. Um, the first, so the, the first day I got in, it was, it was a hell of a ride just to get there. And I mean that quite literally. I had to take this broken down, bus it wasn't actually broken down but it felt like that um on all these dirt roads about two hours from the airport to this monastery i was the only american oh, i was the only foreigner there on the back of the bus with like two big bags everyone was looking at me and i didn't know anything about burma really I, it, it, it's mostly safe but there are some areas that aren't safe so i mean i i thought that i wasn't even going to make it to the monastery I finally got to this intersection in the road um, that had this long, windy path, and the bus driver told me to get out. He said, okay, this is your stop. And it was like literally, it just seemed like in the middle of nowhere, there was a gang of people. It was like 30 people all with these mopeds, and they were just hanging out smoking cigarettes. And he wanted me to get out of the bus and go mm. to them. <laughs> and You're I like, was oh, like, no. what? But I couldn't... I, I couldn't, I didn't speak Burmese. Um, I was just totally like at the whim of, of this guy and everyone else. So I got off the bus, I walked over to them, terrified, and I gave them a, a piece of paper that said where I needed to go. And they pointed to some guy with a bike and said, okay, get on. 
and I had to get on the back of this guy's moped. And we're not talking like a motorcycle. We're talking like a moped that looks like it's designed for a single person. <laughs> With your bags. massive backpack. Oh, my God. Uh, and he, I just had to get on the back of this guy and hug him around his torso <laughs> and trust that he was going to take me somewhere that I needed to go. Oh, my and, God. Um, and that ride, I actually thought I was going to die. My backpack was about 80 pounds, and it, it was wearing it the whole time. Um, and we were on this rickety, bouncy dirt road with rocks, and every bump I thought I was going to fly off. But I didn't. Uh, I made it and got to that monastery. And um, and then I got in, and it was beautiful. It was a 100-acre forest monastery. It was wow. quiet, serene. Um, I went to the main desk, checked in. They How did you check me. in? Did you talk? Wonderful. <laughs> um, and and uh, then they said, okay, you can go to bed. And the beds are super thin. They're like the size of, like, you know, you can squeeze the mattress between your fingers and feel the bone in your finger. Um, but I went to bed, and uh, I think probably went to bed at like 9 p.m. And then the wake-up bell was at 3 a.m. And it's this massive gong that they blast out the entire monastery. And it just, like, you know, I'm still jet-lagged and everything. And it just, like, blew me right out of my bed. I was like, what? If you've ever seen uh, <laughs> My Cousin Vinny, have you ever seen yes. My Cousin Vinny? <laughs> yeah. Love that movie. Okay. You know that scene where he's at the at the air, uh, in the hotel and the, the train comes mm-hmm. by? And he's like, <laughs> what the F was that? <laughs> That's what it was like. So that goes off at Wait, 3 a.m. I have a question. How yeah. did you talk when you got there? Like you checked in. Do you silently check in? Yeah, yeah. So I could, I could, I could talk while I was checking in. Okay. And that. did you shave your head like right then and there? No, not yet. So okay. I wasn't a monk yet, and I had no intentions to be a monk. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So I, I go into the, they, they put you right into the meditation practice. Right. 3 a.m. starts. You wake up. I thought it was awesome. I was like, yeah, this is what I want. It's hard. I'm waking up early. Here we go. And then the whole thing started, and um, and then that's that's fourteen hours of meditation a day, um, which was wow. just so so intense. Uh, not intense in imagine. like the sense that like you know all you're doing is just sitting and walking slowly, um, but it's that like you can't. There's no more running from yourself. There's no more distracting yourself mm-hmm. from yourself. You're like forced to st- sit still with all of your thoughts, all of your emotions, all of your physical pains. And everything gets exacerbated when you do that. So um, there was just a lot of really intense physical pain that I went through that first week that um, would often bring me to tears and would uh, th- and made me want to leave. I was I was planning to go home. Wow. Um, I I didn't. I made it through. And uh, one of the things that helped me get through was um, one of the monks that was there came up to me uh, about a week into the retreat experience and, uh, you know, saw me struggling and asked me where I was from. Um, and this was, you know, not one of the teaching monks. This was just one of the monks practicing in the monastery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I thought I thought it was a test because I'm not supposed to talk. <laughs> I was like, this guy's coming up to me asking me questions. Like, this must be one of their monk tests where they see if I, if I say anything. So I didn't respond at first, and then he kept asking me, Nobody was around, so I, I just I told him I'm like oh, yeah. He said uh, he said where are you from? I said I'm from New York. Um, he said how long are you going to be here? I said I, I think about six months or so. And then he said uh, you should be a monk. And uh, you know 
the the idea I had of being a monk is that you're a monk forever. So mm-hmm. my response was, uh, I don't think my mom would be too happy about that. <laughs> and uh, and you went on to tell me that you could do a temporary ordination where you shave your head, you put on robes, and you basically live the monk a monk's lifestyle uh, with just without any uh, uh, permanent um, uh, signing up. So, um, so I, my process at that time was like, you know what, I need something that's going to keep me here to inspire me to, to take this more seriously. Cause it was just so hard and so difficult. And I thought that if I ordained as a monk, um, it would hold me to a higher standard. So I made my request, uh, to take robes. And then about a week, week and a half later, they got back to me and said yes. And uh, and it was then that I shaved my head and renounced my belongings while I was there and uh, and put on all the robes and became a monk. That's crazy. I feel like what you did was the strongest test of like, just ever. Like, because I always think I think about athletes and how we're always tested. You know, mm-hmm. we're always like pushed to our limits. But I don't think like. I don't pe- think people understand like what you did is extremely hard. Yeah. And I mean, I'm really, I'm like beside myself that, that you were able to meditate and focus for 14 hours a day. I can't, I try for five minutes a day and it's challenging. Yeah. But I did love what you said when you were meditating because I actually worked with an energy healer and we did a lot of meditating. And in those moments of trying to focus and be present, that's when things come up yeah. for you. So like I would start crying and not, even understand why like there were so many emotions that come up that I always like kind of like push down you know inside of you so like you probably learned so much about you while you were there right yeah yeah well one thanks for saying all that Carly um I appreciate it and yeah it it's inevitable that you um that you end up learning about yourself and really meeting yourself it's uh you know, I, I did a lot of, um, well, uh, yeah, a lot of athletic type stuff growing up, um, different than like faster pace. So golf was my main sport, but then I got really into jujitsu for a while. And the, it's, uh, in the sport like jujitsu, it, it can be very easy to like push yourself and not be still and, um, and use the the sport itself as a way to like not address certain things or unresolved emotions or pains that you're holding uh not always sometimes like the sport can actually be used to process a lot of that but in my experience it can be used to run away from some of that and i think a lot of people um use exercise um and sport uh yes as a way to push themselves as a way to stretch and explore themselves in ways that that you can't do any other way um, but also sometimes as a way to like run from ourselves and to avoid stillness. We're both raising and our hands. <laughs> seriously, I'm, I'm, it's so, so true. Yeah. 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 And the, the thing about meditation is like when you stop and you start tuning in and make the intention to be, to actually just be present and to be still, so, you know, forget doing anything, forget even focusing on the breath or whatever you, we would be doing in a meditation, just like making the intention to stop and be still. Well, that often brings up the the wave of like the momentum of your life that you've been avoiding or numbing to and running from. And 
uh, some people hear that and go like, well, why the hell would I ever want to be present to that? Uh, and it's true. It's a good point. Um, but we don't realize like how much stress we're accumulating beneath the surface by running from ourselves, how much we're disconnecting from ourselves when we do that, and how much when we like shut down to the bad stuff, we also start shutting down to the good stuff. And when we can just make a little bit more space for that in our experience so that we're not constantly running from ourselves, those, those emotions, whatever beneath the surface, has a chance to arise and has a chance to be integrated. And then it becomes more like a superpower because it's a lot easier to focus and to be steady and to be still uh, and to direct your energy intentionally in whatever is important to you when you're not subconsciously like fighting all of these demons uh, in your subconscious awareness. So it becomes like a superpower when you don't have to use um, uh, whatever you're doing as a form of running from whatever's inside of you. Uh, and, and it's why it can be really, meditation practice can be really powerful for athletes. Well, we're talking about the deeper stuff, like integrating maybe some of the pains and dramas and um, just all the stuff that we tend to run from. But even just in general, like that, if you look at the, the practice of meditation as a form of mental fitness, um, and let's make it very simple, is something like focusing on the breath, mm-hmm. feeling the breath right around the belly. So you take an inhale, you take an exhale, there's some sensation there. You feel the sensations of the belly expanding, you feel the sensations of the belly deflating. So that becomes your anchor point for your attention. It's like the same way an anchor stabilizes a boat. What we're doing in the practice is, you know, we, we make that where we place our focus, and then the mind's going to wander. It's going to think about puppies, it's going to think about <laughs> things that are more fun than the breath, cookies, everything you did. Like that, all the reasons like you're an idiot, all the reasons why you're the best thing since sliced rye bread, just all of this will come up. And then we just, we watch it. We watch how scattered the mind is. And then we go, okay, I'm not, instead of indulging in all of that, I'm just going to redirect the attention back to the breath. Then it goes off into something else. We bring it back, goes off into something else. We bring it back. And that process of like going off and bringing it back is kind of like a bicep curl for the brain. Mm -hmm. Because what does a dumbbell do? Pulls the arm down, we pull it back up. Pulls it down, pull it back up. You need the weight of the dumbbell to give the bicep something to do, to give it a, a form of exercise. The bringing it back up is what strengthens the bicep. Well, we need those thoughts and the weight of the world that pulls us away there in order for us to pull it back. And that pulling back is what is developing focus, attention, presence, awareness. So a lot of times when people think of meditation, they go, oh my, you know, I can't, my mind's all over the place, I can't even do the practice, like I'm mm-hmm. terrible at it, I suck at it, like, you know, it's why running on the treadmill is my form of meditation, whatever, you know, all the excuses we come up with. And instead of seeing the wandering mind as a hindrance, I want people to really start seeing it as an opportunity. Every time that your mind wanders, that is an opportunity to do a bicep curl for the brain, to bring it back. And the more you do it, the stronger it gets. And we quite literally see that through the science, that areas of the brain that were that are responsible for stress and anxiety, those areas will start to shrink with this practice. And then the areas responsible for focus, for joy, literally joy in the brain, empathy in the brain, those areas uh, start to grow in physical structure. So it's... um. It's, it's a form of mental fitness, and our entire life, um, 
we all know where we go if we want to like, develop our, our bodies, uh, uh, our physicality, but where do we go to develop the mind? Um, meditation is that, that form of exercise. <laughs> Honestly, it really is mind blowing. And I think like every lady baller who's listening right now needs to understand that. Yeah, it's going to be so hard when you first start meditating. But then as you, it's like a pra- it's literally a practice. Yeah. You have to practice at it to strengthen like you would with any workout or any fitness routine. And I just think that I don't know. It sounds to me like a lot more athletes need to incorporate this sense of being like fully present and silent and not moving because as we know we are go 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 all the time as athletes right? and and how you said like you're running away from your problems and Mm -hmm. uh, you know we're literally like running like that's our way of de-stressing but it's not enough you know like yeah I totally agree and I just feel like I I as I mentioned I worked with someone on this where I actually used food as my like way of coping with things but meanwhile it wasn't the food wasn't doing anything it was just kind of making me feel worse about it I wasn't actually like acknowledging what the real issues were down inside of me and I feel like when you meditate that's Mm -hmm. where you're you bring more awareness to yourself and you're like wow all these past traumas and like all these um, difficulties and all these the things that you're stressed about really come up for you when you finally bring it attention to it, yeah, you know, definitely. and then you kind of like, what would Corey, what would be a suggestion to you, um, for like the lady ballers listening when they're meditating, if things were to come up that make them feel uncomfortable, yeah. you know, like what's yeah. some good advice to like get through the practice? Yeah, sure. Uh, great question. There are different ways to work with, with this, but, um, the best one, because it's most simple, is just to practice breathing through it. So these things will come up in different ways. Like you'll, you'll, and and also for the record, like it's not like you're gonna sit down and meditate and like all the hate you've ever harbored toward your mother is gonna just like come up. No, <laughs> uh, some of this stuff is is really deep and takes some time to surface. So I don't want people to feel like, wow, meditation just means like I'm gonna access all my deepest demons. Um, you might you might immediately notice like a lot of peace comes up or a lot of ease, but there is the potential for. Um, for some some uncomfortable stuff to arise the 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 main uncomfortable stuff that you'll first probably notice and this is what i notice a lot for athletes um is just some discomfort in the body that either either shows up as like physical uh sensation discomfort from injury or a restlessness because you're so used to moving that the stillness Mm -hmm. is really uncomfortable that will probably be the first form of discomfort that you get to work with. So two ways I'll give you to work with that. Um, uh, first, let's say, let's say it's like from an injury. Uh, this I noticed a lot for myself in my meditation practice, that all these like past injuries that I had, there's a, a lot of the pains would come up when I would actually be still enough to tune into my body. So if you notice that happening, it's not bad. It doesn't mean that you're adding more pain to your body. It just means that stuff that's happening uh, beneath the surface of your awareness is just becoming a little bit more aware, and it will most likely go away once you stop the meditation. Um, Meaning, like it's not you're not exacerbating. It's going to show up throughout the rest of your day. So when you feel when you feel that pain, I want you to notice um, two things going on. There's going to be there's going to be two forms of pain. You're going to be sitting. You're going to feel the physical pain. Let's say in your lower back. And it's going to feel like pins and needles, tingly, tightness, hardness, whatever. 
And you're most likely going to notice then a form of secondary pain come up. And this is going to be the thoughts and the emotions that you take on to it. So the thoughts will probably be something like, God damn it, I hate this meditation. It's making me have more pain. What's wrong with my body? I don't want to do this anymore. I got to get up. This is stupid. This isn't helping me. Isn't this supposed to be making me happier? Right. And then those thoughts are going to trigger emotions, anger, frustration, despair, hopelessness, whatever. And then most likely, and this has been my insight, um, those emotions will actually make like the physical pain worse. So there'll be two forms of pain going on. There'll be the primary pain, which is just the physical pain. You can't do anything about it. Then there'll be the secondary pain. And that's the pain that you're taking on top of it. Now, this is going to be a really important insight for you in your sport because you deal with primary pain and secondary pain all the time. Like part of the, the nature of pushing yourself in anything, but especially in a sport, means that you're going to come up against some discomfort. And when you come up against that discomfort in your training um, or when you're actually on the field, how does your mind respond to it? What are the thoughts that come up to it, to come up around it? Are those thoughts like, I can't do this anymore, I can't go further, like, uh, this isn't for me, or this is too much? Um, and if so, what thoughts are those emotions, what thoughts... Uh, um, what emotions do those thoughts trigger? Probably fear, uh, feelings of like hopelessness, can't do this anymore, despair. And all of that's going to influence like how we, how we navigate those comfort zones or moving beyond those comfort zones. If you're able to watch those thoughts um, and not have to be completely subsumed, consumed by them, that becomes more of a superpower. So in your meditation practice, when you find that play going on, that insidious mental loop of the physical pain in the low back, and then the thoughts of, I can't do this anymore, then the emotions that get triggered, I want you to, to bring your attention to those thoughts. And instead of taking those thoughts seriously, just start watching them like clouds passing through the sky. So the thought will come up of, I can't do this anymore. Oh, just a cloud passing through the sky. This is stupid. Just a thought passing, cloud passing through the sky. You're just watching it as if you were laying down in the park watching clouds move through. You don't have to take them so seriously. You don't have to identify them as like your thoughts. It's just like you're watching someone else thinking. That will help you not take those thoughts ser so seriously, and then those thoughts will not trigger the emotions as intensively. Once you watch those thoughts, just, oh, just a thought, then just bring your attention back to the breath. So the thought, right, your, the pain, how's this look in sequence? You're focusing on the breath, then the pain comes up, you notice that the pain are triggering the thoughts, you watch the thoughts come and go, and then you bring your attention back to the breath. And you just do that over and over and over again. The less you get caught up in those thoughts, the less they're going to trigger the emotions that will cause you to not want to be there. Um, and the more you can manage that, the more you can bring that onto the field, the more you can bring that into your training, uh, and the more that you start being in control of how you're going to navigate those moments where things get really intense. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like for me, I'm such a negative person, and like I'm my own worst enemy. Yes, I am, Carly. I'm shaking my head no because I, I don't see but, that. But you don't hear it because okay. it's like a lot of my thoughts, you know. So I like so the true. cloud idea because I feel like if I can let go of things and mm -hmm. have it just like it's a thought instead of it keep like getting bigger and bigger in, inside, you know. And I feel like probably a lot of athletes are like that when you're on the field and things get hard and you're just like, I can't do this. I'm not, you know, like mm -hmm. you are your own worst enemy in a lot of situations. I love that you said that though, Shannon, because it's true. You, you are not your thought. Like you have to kind of separate yourself from your thoughts. And it's like 
maybe even I, I used to do this. I used to like personify the thought. That thought is like a different woman. It's not Carly. Mm-hmm. And like the more I did that, like the more I realized that it's just not, I'm not going to let that, yeah. it's not, I'm not going to let that become me. Yeah. And it's still something I need to work on so much because like I was meditating for a while and I kind of like, you know, fell off the wagon a little and I loved it. So I, d- it's something I definitely want to work more on is like being more aware of the thoughts that come in. Yeah. And Corey, you gave such great advice to, to our, to the lady ballers because the, the easiest thing that you guys can start doing is just being aware of when those thoughts come in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's the first step. It's like actually being aware of when you're saying something negative to yeah. yourself. Um, yeah. And it's as easy as that. And the physical part, like the lower back, it's like I can feel it in my knees just yeah. talking about it. <laughs> I feel like a lot of um, our listeners have that problem, right? Yeah, it's so true. So what would be, like, I know, like, you. it was funny that you said it before, how this all started with you making this, like, one of your, like, goals. Uh, one of my New Year's goals was to meditate more frequently, whether that's, you know, like, maybe mm-hmm. three times a week I'll start with. Um, what would be your suggestion for the athletes out there who want to start meditating? Like, Yeah, well, at the end of this episode, I'll give, um, I'll give you all a way to get a bunch of free resources, like guided meditations that you can use on your meditation journey. Um, there are also, in in addition to those, there are also a number of apps that are out there. Uh, I teach primarily on an app called simple habit, uh, also on 10% happier. And then there's also headspace and calm, Mm -hmm. um, so there, there are a lot of great meditation apps that I think are really useful for someone looking to start out, and all of them ha- will have free versions. Um, and make it as simple as just like deciding each day for five to ten minutes, like that you're going to make this a part of your fitness routine, your mm-hmm. form of mental fitness. And I'm sure all the listeners here have no have no issues prioritizing their own physical well-being their own physical training um it's a a big part of adopting meditation practice is is um is expanding that sense of training to include the mind so if you can link it up with your existing physical training as in like something that you do after the gym or something Mm -hmm. that you do before you go to the gym or you know something you do when you first wake up or go to bed um that can be that could be a really powerful way to to bring it into your existing routine if you are not interested in an app and you want to just know how do i do this without any sort of guidance then just make it as simple as an awareness of breath practice mm-hmm. uh, and and to break that down you'll be focusing on the sensations of the belly as you uh as you take an inhale and an exhale for anyone listening you could try placing your hand on your belly just to feel that more vividly and you'll feel that there's an inhale you'll feel that there's an exhale and there's some sensations connected with that you're bringing your attention to those sensations so you can even imagine like a string from your mind all the way down to your belly and you want to keep that string tight that's that that's when the awareness is connected to the breath um, and imagine like not trying to, to cut that string. When the mind wanders, you just bring it back to the breath, uh, and that's it over and over and over again for five minutes or ten minutes. Set a timer and just do that. If you did nothing more than that, you would be training that capacity in a really significant way. One other thing I'll say that I notice for a lot of athletes is um, you, the often the thing that makes you great is uh, the thing that causes the majority of your stress. 
and this is a perfectionism or being very type A uh, or just like, you know, having to like get it right and do it right and bring intensity to everything that you're doing. Uh, I'm certainly like that. So a lot of times what happens is people come into the meditation and it's like another thing that they get to perfect and they go, I'm going to be so peaceful. No one's going to be the best, as good of a meditator as I am. What do I have to do? Focus on the breath. I could do that. Here we go. Inhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. And then what happens? The mind goes like, I want a cookie. And then we go, oh, I'm so bad at meditation. I knew I'd be better at it. I suck at it. Everyone else is good at meditation. I can't do this. And then we just let it go. Or we create more stress for ourselves in the process uh, in something that was designed to help bring us a little less stress. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation is to treat your mind and to train your mind as if you were training a puppy dog. So if you wanted to train a puppy to sit, you would invite the puppy over and say, okay, puppy, here, sit down. And what's going to happen? The puppy's not going to sit. It's going to run into the other room. And so we don't run up to the puppy and kick it in the face because it's not going to want to sit ever again. And if it does sit, it's going to do it out of fear. Instead, we go, hey, puppy, remember what we're doing? We're trying to sit. So come here. And then eventually the puppy does sit. And then what happens when it sits? We treat it like it's just one wheel of fortune. We go, oh, you're the best puppy ever. I love you so much. You're so wonderful. And we give it a treat. Now that puppy has a positive association with sitting. Mm -hmm. We ask it to sit again. It's going to wander off. And we say, hey, hey, remember what we're doing? Come back. It sits. We give it a treat. And eventually it gets better and better at sitting when we ask it to. The mind is the same way. In the beginning, you're going to ask it to sit with the breath. But it's not going to want to be there. It's going to go off into the other room. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to kick ourselves in the face when that happens. We just want to be gentle and we want to say, hey, mind, remember what we're doing? We're focusing on the breath. Can we do that? And the mind goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I could do that. And then it comes back, focus on the breath for maybe two seconds, and then it goes off into something else it wants to think about. And we go, hey, mind, remember we're, we're doing this meditation thing. It's important for us. helps the brain change. Mind goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I could do that. comes back to the breath. And then over time, it just gets easier and easier and easier. Uh, to actually do that and the mind is more inclined to to focus not because it's forced to not because it's doing it out of fear but because we've enticed it to and we've trained it to through that way yeah this is well carly just got a puppy so this is actually funny i'm laughing i'm like this is so true but it's just too good like the analogy you just made because i feel like as athletes like we we're not patient with ourselves enough and we're not kind to ourselves because we have this mentality of like like you said, it needs to be perfect. I need to be intense. I need to do all yeah. this. So it's kind of like a nice remi- reminder to, to be really kind to yourself and forgiving. Like if you're going to, if your thoughts travel far, like just be like, hey, okay. remember why we're sitting here? Like, come on in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, one of my mean? favorite one, well, we'll link your podcast um, in the description, but one of my favorite, one of your podcasts was the one with, uh, when you were talking about patience and you were talking about the bell, I think. And I was like waiting, and I and then you're like, do you see? Like you're feeling impatient. I was so I was being so impatient. Oh, because like, you were waiting for yeah. A bell. I was wait- Was that what it was, Corey? I don't know. It was like it was a couple yeah. of weeks ago, but it was just funny because I am so, I was so impatient, and then I got, I didn't know that's what you were like planning on doing, and it worked because <laughs> I was impatient. And I I feel like a lot of us are that way. Like yeah, we want, like you know like. 
gratification right away and we're impatient with, yes. with things. Even in the city, we always say like we hate slow walkers yep. because we're just so impatient that we need to like get everywhere fast. <laughs> yep. And it's kind of like, okay, we really need to slow down yeah. and just like be present. I always, fr that's why I'm really excited about your book actually because I really want to work on just being more yeah. present and actually experiencing things in the moment rather than like, because before we know it, your life's going to pass by and like you were just stressing and yeah. extreme for, for no reason. Yeah. What's the purpose? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's why the, I named the book, uh, stop missing your life, how to be deeply present in an unpresent world. I, I think so many of us can resonate with that. Um, this feeling of, uh, you know, just so caught up in the next thing that we're trying to move to that we're trying to achieve and we're trying to get and all of that is like it really is awesome like it's great to have goals it's great to have a vision for your life and it's great to be working for something I'm doing that all the time but it's very easy for us to get so caught up in whatever it is we're working toward that we actually miss our lives as they're happening in the process and then you know, it, it, it happens slowly but very quickly. We wake up one day and it's like, wow, what, what just happened the last several years of my life? Like, where was I for it? And um, and this this book, uh, I wrote it to be like an, an invitation of to reconnect with yourself, a map to really start to, to bring that that presence in your day-to-day -day life. Not so that you, you're not just missing your life, but like you really feel fully equipped to be squeezing as much juice out of your life as possible. I love that. I'm like, that. I'm very excited to read your book and I'm a little nervous. I feel <laughs> like I'm going to find things out about myself, but it's good. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite. I, and I hope that does happen because that, that would be, uh, that would be great. Yeah. And I think for everyone listening, I mean, like you said, how you can do this like before workout or after or like in the morning mm -hmm. or night, because for me, I always am like, I have no time to do this. I have so much time. I'm on Instagram. How much during the day? Right. And I work out two hours a day. Why can't I? So what I'm going to do is after my workout, after I stretch, I'm going to try and meditate for five minutes i'm happy you brought that up because i actually was doing that for like a month last year mm -hmm. and first of all meditating and slowing down your heart rate after a workout is amazing because it turns on the parasympathetic nervous system and that's like your rest and digest uh, yeah. you know system so, so you want to turn that on after a workout and i feel like as athletes, sometimes we like skip the cool down and just go yeah. straight into doing other things. And it's just a nice reminder that that's such an easy way to like get in a couple of minutes of being present and silent and um, breathing. The breathing is huge yeah. for athletes. Um, and the breath that you're working on there, like it might help you in a game. Like yeah. it might help you just it in will. any stressful situation yep. in your life. So I think what you're saying. In your meeting with coach at the end of the year <laughs> when you're about to cry. When you're on the verge of a, of a panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's so extremely helpful. Like you are a genius, Corey. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah. So, so if people want like the, the ins and outs, um, like for those wanting to start a meditation practice, I always love making sure that people have the resources, um, to do that. And I have, uh, I have all of those resources out. I have a bunch of guided meditations, sleep meditations, um, app recommendations, all of that. Um, so anyone listening, you just text your email address to this number. Uh, the number is plus one if you're out of the country. And then 631-405-4631. Um, and that will send you an automated email to your inbox with all of these 
different resources to get going. So that's that's six three one four zero five four six three one. Yeah, and that would be an awesome first step. Cool. And is that um, I know like when you uh, purchase the book, you get um, like all of those uh, the bonuses. The bonuses are th- is that the same thing or is that different? This will be a, um, a little different. Some of those bonuses were more for like the pre-ordering okay. of the book, okay. um, but we still have bonuses available with the book. That you can find at stopmessingyourlife.com, cool. but a lot of those bonuses that were included uh, for pre-ordering the book are part of that number that I just gave out, so people will get access awesome. to awesome. a lot of that. That's yeah. great. Guys, the book though, if you guys grab his book, you get a free month subscription, one month subscription to hit that app that he said he was on, which yeah, is so cool. I'm, I, I'm gonna yeah. do it. Um, she uh, was just about to buy her book as we were. Yeah, <laughs> I'm on Amazon as we speak. <laughs> and a seven day anti anxiety meditation series. There's a ton of stuff on here that is so helpful. Um, he literally so much value yeah. that, that you're getting. That's awesome. And, and someday, I promise, I'm actually going to come to one of your uh, retreats. I yes. hope so. Because I keep saying it, and I keep being impatient and busy, busy at the same time and all that stuff. But maybe we'll make it a soccer pops weekend, and we'll come to one of them on Long Island. That would be unbelievable. They're on Long Island? He has them everywhere. Well, we got to check the website. Shannon, we have to do it. Okay. Like, come on. <laughs> we just got to commit. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Corey. Really appreciate it. And we're excited yeah. to. Thank you both. Wait, Corey, one more thing. Where can um, our fans f- find your podcast and everything? Yeah, well, the best play to, place to stay uh, in touch with me is probably on Instagram at Corey Mascara. Um, uh, I post a lot of teachings there. But yeah, I have a daily podcast called uh, Practicing Human. And you could find that anywhere podcasts are hosted, including on iTunes. Awesome. Uh, would great to great, be great to see some listeners there. Yeah, um, but yeah, th- that's the big one where you find most of my content. Cool. We'll put both of those um, in the description. It was funny um, the other day. My friend Kelly, she just became a yoga instructor, um, but she posted um, a screenshot of your podcast. And I messaged her. I was like, I, I I know him from home, and she's like, No way. She's like, I've been listening forever. She's like, That's amazing. I'm a huge fan. I was like, Wow. But um, small world. But anyway, thank you so much, Corey. Really appreciate it. Yeah, um, thank you both. It was a real pleasure. You're doing great work. All right. Thank Have you. A good one. Thanks. Bye, Corey. Bye. Bye.